0: Habakkuk chapter 1, uh, verses 12 through 17. Um, We'll begin by reading the whole chapter, uh, since we are finishing it tonight. So Habakkuk chapter 1. The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. How long, O Lord, will I call for help? And you will not hear. I cry out to you, violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists, and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored, and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people, who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces moves forward. They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings, and rulers are a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. Then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on. But they will be held guilty, they whose strength is their god. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We will not die. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge, and you, O Rock, have established them to correct. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? Why have you made men like the fish of the sea, like creeping things without a ruler over them? The Chaldeans bring all of them up with a hook, drag them away with their net, and gather them together in their fishing net. Therefore they rejoice and are glad. Therefore they offer a sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their fishing net, because through these things their catch is large and their food is plentiful. Will they therefore empty their net and continually slay nations without sparing? Amen. So once again, Habakkuk is a book that... um, is the prophet asking questions. He's, he's asking questions of God, looking at the sin, the iniquity that's around him, uh, both in his nation and in other nations, and asking God, why? Why are these things happening? And then God gives his answers. So in, in the first four verses, we have Habakkuk asking his questions, and we have God's answer in verses 5 through 11. Then Habakkuk responds and asks some more questions in verses 12 through 17 as well as giving us um, a grounding in God's character and God's nature. So this is a book of of question and response, and we see a contrast between the true God, the true God of Scripture, the true and living God, and the false gods of the nations, the the idols who um, only come from the heart of depraved man. And we see this right away in verse 12. He says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? He gives an an explanation of who God is, the God of Israel, the God of Scripture, the one from whom come all things. This is the one that he's trusting in. He's not trusting in any false gods. He's not um, looking to the the pagan gods of the people that came before uh, the people of Israel. He's looking to the true God, the one who is from everlasting, and he names him. He names him, O Lord my God and my Holy One. These three names um, and this character as well, these from everlasting, they teach us much about who God is and why he is worthy of all devotion and worthy of, of our complete trust in all situations. He says he's from everlasting and he asks it in a rhetorical way, are you not from everlasting? Yes, this God is the one who is everlasting. He is eternal. He did not come from some other God. All of the mythologies and pagan deities They always came from some other God, some other thing. Something created them. But not the true God, not the God of Scripture. He came from no one. He is of himself. He is eternal and infinite and timeless. He's the one who created all things. We see this in Genesis 1 through, through 2, that he, in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. Not any other deity. The heavens and the earth haven't always existed, but rather in the beginning, God is the one who made them. He is before all things. He's before all time, and nothing is before him. So we can see this in many scriptures throughout all of, all of scripture, but let us go to Isaiah 43, uh, verse 10. Isaiah chapter 43. We'll come back to this uh, chapter. There are many chapters in Isaiah that we'll be turning to tonight. Um, But Isaiah 43, verse 10, he says, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me, and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, and there will be none after me. I, even I am the Lord, and there is no Savior besides me. Uh, let's keep going. It is I who have declared and saved and proclaimed, and there was no strange God among you, so you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Even from eternity I am he, and there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? If God is the infinite one, the one who created all things, then no one can reverse his hand. No one can, can cause him to do anything, can move him. No one can put him in, in their debt. He is the one who acts and no one reverses it. He is the one who purposes and plans and frustrates the counsel of the nations. And this is the one who Habakkuk appeals to, the one he he trusts in, the everlasting one. He says in verse 10 of Isaiah 43, "...before me there was no God formed, and there will be none after me. There is no God that created the God of heaven. There is no man. He is not born from the thought of man." He is not from any other deity, and there will be none after him, as it says in Revelation that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. There will be no one after him, no one to supplant him, because he created all things. If there was someone to supplant him, it would have to come from his own creation, but he created all things by the word of his mouth, from his own will, and they came from nothing, and he could, if he wished, return them to nothing. So there is no one who can supplant him and overthrow his hand. (coughs) Um, Let's also turn to Psalm 90. Psalm 90 is a a prayer of Moses. The prayer of Moses, a man of God. And he declares also this, this infinity, this eternity in God. And why, because of this truth, he is worthy of putting all of our hope and faith in. Psalm 90, verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations... Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man back into dust and say, Return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. You have swept them away like a flood, they fall asleep. In the morning they are like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening it fades and withers away. For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we have been dismayed. You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. As for the days of our life, they contain seventy years, or if due to strength, eighty years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? So teach us to number our days, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom, Do return, O Lord. How long will it be? And be sorry for your servants. O, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us and the years we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. And the, the beginning of the psalm he says you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were born or you gave birth to the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting you are god nothing made god to be god nothing made him worth uh trusting in he just is god he is the one who created things all things he was there before the mountains were born the mountains we see as things that are permanent and everlasting uh, from our perspective but even, even those were created by God, and they came into existence. And it's because of that that he is a dwelling place for all generations. We also see that it's, he's worthy of fear. He turns men back into dust. He puts our iniquities before him. We are consumed by his anger, and he makes our life short, 70 or 80 years if we have strength. And all of our life is just vain and labor and sorrow, and then it, it flies away, and we are no more. That is because of the result of sin and sinning against this eternal, infinite God. But there is hope for God's people. For for God's enemies, certainly there is fear because He will judge them. And for us, who are God's people, there is the fear of Him, yes, because of our sin, but there is also hope that He will return to us. It says in verse 13 of Psalm 90, Do return, O Lord, how long will it be? We, he returned to us by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, to take on human flesh and be tr- our true dwelling place. Because we will dwell with him forever. And this is what Moses was praying for. And this is exactly what Habakkuk is also uh, praying for. He, he knows that the only reason that we have any hope is in this um, wonderful, uh, beautiful doctrine of God that he does not change. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3 and verses 5 through 6. He says, Then I will draw near to you for judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against those who swear falsely and against those who oppress the wage earner in his wages, the widow and the orphan, and those who turn aside the alien and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. We change. We change from... From one thing to another, we, we grow, we also change from, from good to evil, from evil to good. All at the, the work of the Lord. But He, He does not change. And it's only because He does not change that we are not consumed. If He changed, He would destroy us in a moment um, because of our, our sin. But because He is from everlasting, we can put our hope and faith in Him that He will indeed uh, rescue us from our, our enemies and from our own sin. Turning back to Habakkuk, he also says, gives him these names, O Lord, my God, and my Holy One. He says, O Lord, this is the commonly called the covenant name of God, or the the tetragrammaton, meaning the four letters, um, the four Hebrew letters that sometimes people call Yahweh. And this is is the name of God that we find in the Old Testament. Um, We see it first in Genesis 2. When when the Son of God walked in the garden in the cool of the day, um, also before that, when He created Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter two, that it was it was the Lord who did it. Um, and this is His name. This is the the one who is the I am. Uh, we'll see this in Exodus chapter three. This name it, it it tells us this eternal nature of God. We saw that in Isaiah forty three as well. That He says, "I am He," and that's coming from this name of God. Exodus chapter 3. So Habakkuk is not calling upon any false god, but he's calling upon the true God of Israel, the one who revealed himself to Adam in the garden, the one who revealed himself um, in the promise to Adam and Eve, and the one who revealed himself to all of the righteous, to Noah, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then here in Exodus chapter 3 to Moses as well. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down. Uh, to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians, and to bring them up from the land to be a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt. And he said, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus he shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of uh, Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. So this is the one that Habakkuk is calling to, the one who saved his people out of Egypt, the the people of Israel. He is the God of Israel. Um, He is the one who has the power to save them, to deliver them. He is the I Am. No one uh, caused him to be, uh, but rather he is the one who has the power and the ability to, um, to rescue his people. And that's why it's his memorial name to all generations. And this is the one that Habakkuk cries out to. He calls him my God. This, this Lord, this Lord over all Israel, is, is the God of Habakkuk. Now we know that because of sin... We have been exiled from the presence of the Lord. That's what happened in Genesis chapter 3 when he sent them out of the Garden of Eden. He sent them away, away from his presence, out of his presence. So how can we be his people and how is he our God? Well, We go to Hebrews chapter 8. In Hebrews, he is defending um, the, the deity of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ. And he's quoting from the Old Testament. Here he's quoting from Jeremiah chapter 31, uh, the new covenant. Hebrews 8, uh, 7 through 13. Hebrews 8, 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, said the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers, on the day when and i took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of egypt for they did not continue in my covenant and i did not care for them says the lord for this is the covenant that i will make with the house of israel after those days says the lord i will put my laws into their minds and i will write them on their hearts and i will be their god and they shall be my people and they shall not teach every one his fellow citizen and every one his brother saying know the lord for all will know me from the east from the least to the greatest of them for i will be merciful to their iniquities And I will remember their sins no more. When he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. So apart from Christ and apart from his work and his covenant, we are not God's people, and he is not our God. But through this new covenant that God has made in Christ, uh, the mediator of the new covenant, then he says in verse uh, 10, And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. We we will be His people because He has written, has written His laws on our minds and on our hearts. He's put them He's put them on us, and He causes us to obey them. No longer do we disobey, and and hate, um, hate God, and are um, enslaved to the flesh. But instead, He He may, brings us into into life, and causes us to to love His commandments, and and walk in them. And He says, um, and everyone. His brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me, from the least to the greatest of them. We will know him. We know him through, through Christ, and we know his forgiveness of sins, and that he will remember them no more. This is the, the faith that Habakkuk has. And then he finishes, back to Habakkuk one twelve. he finishes with, My Holy One. We know that God is holy. We think of Isaiah 6, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole, the whole earth is full of his glory. Um, but who is this Holy One? Um, we know that uh, that this God is um, a triune God, uh, God in three persons, and we see over and over again that the Holy One is also Christ himself, that Christ is the Holy One, and this is the one that Habakkuk is putting his faith and hope in. He is the Holy One who is holy for him, the one who assumed the human nature to um, live his life and and perfect Habakkuk with um, his covenant. So we see this in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, verse 11. After um, Peter and John uh, heal a lame man, they're taken before um, the leaders, and they are um, demanded to give an account. And this is what Peter says in Acts 3, verse 11. While he, that is the the lame man who was healed, uh, was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this, or why do you gaze at us, as if by our own power or piety we, have, we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate and when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. So we see Christ is the Holy and Righteous One, the Prince of Life, who was put to death so that he could be raised again from the dead uh, for our salvation. Uh, He is the Holy One. And we also see in Acts chapter 2, just a little bit earlier, when Peter is giving his sermon uh, to all those who are gathered at, at the Feast of Pentecost, <clears throat> um, in Acts chapter 2, verse 27, he quotes Psalm 16, uh, which is Christ himself speaking, Because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Psalm 16, a psalm, a prophecy of Christ and his, his work that He would, um, he would die, but that he would not be left to decay. It would not his soul would not be abandoned to Hades, but he would be raised uh, to new life. And he was the holy one, and that's why he had to be raised to new life. Death could not uh, keep his power, keep its power over him, because he was the holy one, and he is the righteous one. And we also see in John eight that he is indeed the Lord, because remember Habakkuk says, "O Lord, my God, my holy one." So Christ is the Holy One. He is also the Lord. In John 8, uh, verse 57, he is disputing with the Jews who are uh, not believing in him, but are rejecting his word. Um, And so he he keeps telling them the truth and and then tells them this in verse, uh, after he says in verse 56, that your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. The Jews said, in verse 57, So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Abraham lived uh, many years before Christ did. uh, Nearly two thousand years before Christ did. And yet, Jesus says that Abraham rejoiced to see his day. And they say, How... How is that possible? You're not even 50 years old yet. And yet you have seen Abraham. And then Jesus tells them that even before Abraham existed, before Abraham was born, I am. This is going back to Exodus 3, that I am who I am. He is the Lord who appeared to Moses in the burning bush. He is the Lord who created all things. The the Lord, the God of Israel, the God of Jacob. And we see this confession from Thomas at the end of John 20 when he says, My Lord and my God. After after Thomas sees the resurrected Christ, he he has faith in him, and and he cries out, My Lord and my God. So Thomas recognized this truth, that Christ is the Lord. He is our God, and he is the Holy One, the one worthy of our hope and our trust. Knowing this this character of God in Habakkuk, he, he bases everything off of this and asks further questions. He says, After he says, O Lord my God, my Holy One, in verse 12, he says, we will not die. It is only because of the work of Christ and the work of God that we know that we will not die. Now, obviously Habakkuk is dead now, but he says we will not die. So in what way do we not die? Well, he's talking about spiritual and eternal life, life forever dwelling with God. And this is what Habakkuk wants. He wants to dwell with his God, his Holy One. And so he has faith in him that he, that that they will not die, that God's people, that he will protect them, both in this life, but also, most importantly, throughout the, the life to come, for each, all eternity. And it's because he is the one who's from everlasting that we can have hope in this. And then he says, You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge, and you, O Rock, have established them to correct. They, God used the Chaldeans to judge Israel, He's the one who, who set them up to judge, and he, all, he has done this throughout history. He, he raises up nations and he puts others down. He raises up nations to judge other nations, and then he judges the nation that he used to judge them. And he's done this um, uh, throughout history. We see this in Isaiah chapter 10. Um, Isaiah chapter 10. God used the Assyrians to judge the nation of Israel, the Northern Kingdom, and He also uh, judged Judah as well, but He did not judge them completely. So the the people of Judah should not be surprised at this. But He says in Habakkuk uh, verse 5 that one five that you would not believe it if you were told. They should believe it. They've seen it. They've seen the nation of Israel destroyed and and exiled by the Assyrians and Isaiah, before it even happened, prophesied about it in Isaiah chapter 10, <clears throat> um, verse 5, Isaiah ten five: Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, and the staff in whose hands is my indignation. I send it against the godless nation, and commission it against the people of my fury, to capture booty, and to seize plunder, and to trample them down like mud in the streets. Yet it does not so in Ted, nor does it plan so in its heart. But rather, it, it is its purpose to destroy and to cut off many nations. For it says, Are not my princes all kings? Is not Calno like Carchemish, or Hamath like Arpad, or Samaria like Damascus? As my hand has reached to the kingdoms of the idols, whose graven images were greater than those of Jerusalem and Samaria, shall I not do to Jerusalem and her images just as I have done to Samaria and her idols? So it will be that when the Lord has completed all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, he will say, I will punish the fruit of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the pomp of his haughtiness. For he has said, By the power of my hand and by my wisdom I did this, for I have understanding. And I removed the boundaries of the peoples and plundered their treasures. And like a mighty man I brought down their inhabitants, and my hand reached to the riches of the peoples like a nest. And as one gathers abandoned eggs, I gathered all the earth, and there was not one that flapped its wing or opened its beak or chirped. Is the axe to boast itself over the one who chops with it? Is the saw to exalt itself over the one who wields it? That would be like a club wielding those who lift it, or like a rod lifting him who is not wood. Therefore the Lord God of hosts will send a wasting disease among his stout warriors, and under his glory a fire will be kindled like a burning flame. And the light of Israel will come become a fire, and his holy one a flame, and it will burn and devour his thorns and his briars in a single day. He will destroy the glory of his forest and of his fruitful garden, both soul and body, and it will be as when a sick man wastes away, and the rest of the trees of, the, of his forest will be so small in number. That a child could write them down. Assyria was used to judge Samaria, and then God also used it to bring uh, Judah to its its knees. But it did not intend to do this. Assyria, as a nation, was not intending to judge um, nations as if they knew that it was God's will to do this. It says in in verse 7 Yet it does not so intend, nor does it plan so in its heart, but rather it is its purpose to destroy and to cut off many nations. So God uses the wicked nation and their evil intentions in order to bring about his good purpose, to judge nations, to judge a godless nation, to judge his people. God did this with, with Israel. He did it partially with Judah at the time, and he will do it completely with Judah, with the Chaldeans. <clears throat> Back in Habakkuk, he says, And you, O rock, have established them to correct. So this the purpose of this... Um, this judgment that God brings, the Chaldeans coming, is to correct his people. Um, and this is always uh, God's plan with his people, is to, to prune them and to, to sanctify them. And he is, again, the rock. It's another name that Habakkuk uses, just like the names he used earlier. The rock who is, is worthy of putting um, all of his hope in. In Deuteronomy 32.4, Moses uh, uses the same word, um, calls God a rock. Because we know that rocks are 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 tough and are are hard and they um, are not easily moved, and so using that analogy, um, the scripture talks of God as a rock, one who is unmovable, unmovable in His purpose, unshakable in His ways, um, especially for the good of His people and His own glory. Deuteronomy thirty-two, four the rock his work is perfect for all his ways are just a god of faithfulness and without injustice righteous and upright is he he is a rock because he will never do any injustice everything he does is perfect everything he does is faithful there is no injustice he is righteous and upright every single act that he has ever done and ever will do is good and perfect and should be completely trusted in and that includes this this act of judgment that he's bringing upon the nation We also know from Psalm 19 that he is our Lord, our rock, and our Redeemer. This is the one that Habakkuk cries out to. Moving uh, to verse 13 in Habakkuk chapter 1, um, he, he continues with God's character and then asks his questions. He says, Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? If this is the case, that God never does anything um, unjustly, but he always does things perfectly, then it must be that his eyes are too pure to approve evil. We know that from Psalm 11, that his, his eyelids test men's sons. He searches the earth and tests them. Um, we even see that in Genesis 3, when he exiled Adam and Eve, that they could not be, they could not be in his presence because of their sin. Um, he, he had to, to exile them. Uh, Psalm 34 as well. He says this as well, that God cannot view evil um, with favor, but he must punish it because he is just. Again, De- Deuteronomy 32, that all of his ways are just. Uh, Psalm 34, verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The eyes of the Lord are to the righteous, not to the wicked. He can, he does not approve the wicked, he approves the righteous. So if this is the case, if he cannot look on wickedness with favor, then why is he favoring Babylon and the Chaldeans, favoring their their quest, their conquest of many nations? This is the question that Habakkuk asks. He He asked the question in in chapter 1, verse 4, and verse 3, why does he see iniquity in in his nation? And God gives the answer that he's going to bring the Chaldeans, the the empire of Babylon, to judge them. But Babylon is even worse, is even worse than the nation of Judah. They they don't even um, know the true God at all. They have many, many false gods. So why is he looking upon them with favor? But remember, we just read from Isaiah 10 that this is what God does. He raises up a nation so that he can judge um, one nation, and then that one that he raised up, he judges them. He uses evil, but not dwelling amongst evil itself. He, he does not dwell with evil, but he uses it for his purposes. So we cannot think that his silence or that um, his patience and his delaying is signs of his um, of his unfaithfulness or in his injustice, but rather it's his patience toward us and it's his... Um, waiting for the right time to judge the nation. It's, it's his purpose, for, so that he will be glorified in judging the wicked, using their wickedness for his purposes, and then judging them later. This is Romans 9, um, that he raised up Pharaoh. Uh, let's turn to Romans 9. We also know from the story of Joseph, Joseph in Genesis chapter 50, that um, after he was reconciled to his brothers and then his father Jacob died, that they said do not um, do not kill us and, and then Joseph responds that he's not in the place of God that God is the one who did this um, is his brothers meant for evil against him but God meant it for good that many people would be kept alive and then you see this in Romans 9 Romans 9:14. 9, what shall we say then there is no injustice with God is there may it never be for he says to Moses I will have mercy on whom I have mercy And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I raised you up, to demonstrate my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. He says in verse 17, For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I raised you up. God raised up Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who was a wicked man. An Antichrist a a hater of God he lied he was a murderer and he had no fear of God but God raised him up and for what purpose but to demonstrate my power in you that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth God raises up a wicked nation like the Babylonians like King Nebuchadnezzar who was a wicked man who who was very proud and arrogant He, he raised him up and for what purpose to judge his godless people the nation of Judah And then at the proper time, he destroyed the nation of Babylon. And God's power was made known among the nations. And he did that with Pharaoh. So this is nothing new. This is what happens um, from the beginning. He let Satan tempt Adam and Eve. And for what purpose? So that his name would be proclaimed in the salvation of his people and the destruction of Satan underneath our feet. For the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath our feet. Romans 16. This is God's purposes. These, These... this is how God works, and we see this with the very crucifixion of Christ himself. We know that it was at the hands of godless men that they nailed Christ to the cross, but it was God's predetermined plan so that his people would be saved. So this is why God uses wicked people in order to um, judge the righteous, and then glorify his name. Uh, Habakkuk one fourteen, Why have you made men like the fish of the sea, like creeping things without a ruler over them? The Chaldeans bring the, all of them up with a hook, drag them away with their net, and gather them together in their fishing net. Here he describes men, meaning men like all the nations that Babylon destroyed. He describes them as fish, fish of the sea and creeping things. We know that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created all things that filled the earth. He created the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and all of the, the things on the earth, the cattle, and all of the creeping things. But these animals are, are unreasoning. They have no ruler. It says in verse 14, like creeping things without a ruler over them. No one guides them. No one directs them. They are unreasoning. They have no knowledge. And this is how he describes men. This is the nature of a uh, uh, depraved man after the fall. Adam and Eve were crowned with glory by being made in the image of God. In the image of God, he made them. Male and female, he created them, Genesis 1. But after their sin and their fall and their exile, they became um, like unreasoning animals. And this is all of the wicked. We are wayward in our wickedness by nature, children of wrath. And we... We do not know what we are doing, we have no knowledge. We have no knowledge of God, no knowledge of the true path of righteousness. And these are these are the nations, the pagan nations who have no knowledge of God. He calls them fish of the sea. Um turn to Second Peter two to see scripture describing uh, the nations and, and people, wicked people like animals. Second Peter two verse twelve. Uh, we'll actually start uh, in the last half of, of verse 10. Uh, Daring, self will, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. Suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. Their stains and blemishes reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way. They have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke for his transgressions, for a mute donkey, speaking with the voice of a man, restrained the madness of the prophet." Be actually, let's go on in verse 17. These are springs without water and mist, driven by a storm, for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world, by the knowledge of the Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow, after washing, returns to wallowing in the mire. The reason why these are unreasoning animals born as creatures of instinct is because they have no true knowledge. Animals cannot reason. They do not know good and wrong, right and evil, They only know their instincts and pleasures, and these are wicked men. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime, their stains, blemishes, reveling in their deceptions, eyes full of adultery, never ceasing from sin, unstable souls. They're trained in greed. They do not know what is good and right, just like unreasoning animals. Even so much so that God used an unreasoning animal, a donkey, a lowly animal, to rebuke a prophet, to rebuke a man. And they are dogs and swine returning to vomit and mire. These are wicked uh, people. Uh, Let's turn just a few pages over to Jude. Jude says the same thing in verse 10. But these men revile the things which they do not understand and the things which they know Uh, by instinct like unreasoning animals by these things they are destroyed woe to them for they have gone the way of cain and for pay they have rushed headlong into the error of balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. these are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feast when they feast with you without fear caring for themselves clouds without water carried along by winds autumn trees without fruit doubly dead uprooted wild waves of the sea casting up their own shame like foam uh, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever Unreasoning animals, that's like Cain, Balaam, and Korah, wicked men who rebelled against God and against the people of God and um, perished in their uh, wicked ways. So why, why has God made men like this? They have no rule over them to direct them into the way of righteousness, no way to protect them, no ruler to protect them from the king of Babylon. Remember from the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11 that God separated the nations, and He cast them away as as a judgment because of their wickedness. But we also know that sins do to, to not uh, fit to not acknowledge God any longer. That God gave them over to their depravity, and they engage in all forms of wickedness and idolatries, um, not worshiping the Creator, but instead worshiping the creature. But the promise of God to Abraham that He would bring the nations um, back together again, the the elect, uh, those who are the sons of Abraham, they would become uh, united in Christ, and they would be they would have a ruler over them. They would have Christ as ruler over them. But here, the nations that Babylon comes to um, to overthrow, they have no ruler to protect them because it is God's purpose to to overthrow them. The The nations of the Ammonites and Tyre and Philistia and Moab, they were destroyed as well by the king of Babylon. We see that in Ezekiel 25 and 26. Those are the nations that were destroyed by the king of Babylon before and at the same time as as Judah. And so they were like fish of the sea, and the Chaldeans bring all of them up with a hook. When you go out to fish, you go, when they went out to fish, they would go out into the lake and they would drag a net, and they would gather all the fish up in this net and drag them up into the boat and onto land, and the fish could do nothing about it. And then they would have their, their large catch, and they would gather them together in their fishing net. They're helpless. They're caught in the net, and they take, they take these fish where they do not want to go. It is a very violent way of of capturing the prey, and this is exactly what the king of Babylon did. He dragged the nations up into his net, conquered them, destroyed their cities with fire, destroyed their temples, and brought many into exile. And that's what we see with those righteous in Judah like Daniel and Ezekiel. And then Habakkuk 1.16. Therefore they offer a sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their fishing net, because through these things their catch is large and their food is plentiful. They have all of the... They they rejoice in themselves, it says in, in verse 15. Therefore they rejoice and are glad. They rejoice... Because they, they caught many fish, they've destroyed many nations, they've plundered them, and they've gotten much loot from it, <clears throat> and many, many servants. And then they, they make their treachery, their wickedness, even worse by instead of, of knowing that it's the Lord of Heaven who, glad this, who caused this to be, that they think it was themselves. They offer a sacrifice to their net. They literally worship their own net, their own devices, their own hands, as if they're the ones who caused these things. They burned incense to a fishing net, and this is just like Isaiah 10. Like, is the axe to boast over the woodsman? It is the woodsman who, who holds the axe who wields it and causes it to to do his bidding to do his work. But here they are so foolish, they are so um, idolatrous and evil that they actually worship their own um, their own things that made made by their own hand and their own selves. and we see this with the king of Babylon himself, Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel chapter four. Nebuchadnezzar worshipped himself and gave glory to himself instead of glory to God for all of the kingdom that he had built. After um, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, he has a dream about a tree reaching into heaven. Daniel gives the interpretation of it that it is that it is about Nebuchadnezzar himself, and that he will be judged if he does not repent. And so we go to verse 28 where we see this judgment. Um, uh, put on Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel four twenty-eight. All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have, have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, To you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you, and you will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. He looked at his kingdom, and he said, in verse 30, is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? So much arrogance and pride in this man that he worshipped himself, saying that all of this kingdom that he built was by his own power, his own glory, his own majesty. But the, the decree against him is that, no, it is the Most High who is the ruler over the realm of mankind. He is the one who gives it to whomever he wishes. He raised up Nebuchadnezzar just like he raised up Pharaoh so that God could demonstrate his power in him. And this is exactly what happens in verse 33. Immediately, the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled, and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like birds' claws. He became the unreasoning animal that his heart truly was. He was like an unreasoning animal in his heart, giving glory to himself. And so then God caused him to behave like one for his own glory. <clears throat> Um this is also like uh the Antichrist, the final one in Second Thessalonians 2, that he will um make himself above every so-called god, so-called God, and, and demand worship for himself. Verse 17 of Habakkuk 1 will they therefore empty their net and continually slay nations without sparing. In Jeremiah 4, verse 7, we see the same thing that Jeremiah cries out that they are a, a vicious people, and that they, it seems like there will be no end to their destruction. Jeremiah 4 7. A lion has gone up from his thicket, and, de- and a destroyer of nations has set out. He has gone out from his place to make your land a waste. Your cities will be ruins without inhabitant. For this, put on sackcloth, lament and wail, for the fierce anger of the Lord has not turned back from us. Nebuchadnezzar was a destroyer of nations, a lion, going about and devouring. And this is what he did against his people. But we'll see in Isaiah 46 that, though this is true, and that God used Nebuchadnezzar to judge his people, that it was his purpose, and that that God will judge Babylon. We've already seen that with Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel 4. But God was going to judge the whole nation as well. Isaiah 46. Uh, Isaiah 46 is a decree against the false gods of Babylon, the gods that they trusted in. Isaiah 46, Bel has bowed down, Nebo stoops over. Their images are consigned to the beasts and the cattle. The things that you carry are burdensome, a load for the weary beast. They stooped over, they have bowed down together, they could not rescue the burden, but have themselves gone into captivity. These false gods of, of Babylon, Bel and Nebo, they are just that, their images. They have no life in them. They are just like the unreasoning animals. They cannot go where they wish, but they are consigned to beasts and cattle. Cows themselves are the ones carrying these gods away. They can't even carry themselves. They are a burden. They're very burdensome, and yet these are the things that people bow down and worship and cry out to save them, but they're crying out to something that's a burden to them, something that is a burden for a beast of burden. But they stooped over, they bowed down together, they could not rescue, they had, but have themselves gone into captivity. They could not rescue Babylon. God is the one who caused them to be raised up to, to judge nations, and the false gods of Babylon could not save them from God's hand. God is the one who caused them to do these things. That's why he says in verse uh, 5 of chapter 46, To whom then would you liken me, and make me equal, and compare me, that, that we would be alike? God is not like these, these false gods. He is not made from, from the hands of men, from stone and, and wood and gold. But he is the living God who created all things. In him, all things hold together. He is the one who gives us life, breath, and all things. And in him, we live, move, and exist. Um, Acts 17. He is the one who has done these things. And if we know that, that God is judging his people, right? It is, it is God's people that he's judging. Then what is our hope? Our hope is in Christ. Psalm 110, and we'll finish with this. Christ is the ultimate slayer of nations, the one whose kingdom has no end. His kingdom will come, and it will endure forever. Yes, Babylon, um, a wicked man, he slayed many nations. So did the king of Assyria. And we know that this will happen throughout history. It has happened throughout history, and it will continue to happen. And at the end, the, the last Antichrist will do the same. He will... He will destroy many, and even persecute, and kill the righteous. But Christ is the one who is King of kings and Lord of lords. Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power, in holy array from the womb of the dawn. Your youth are to you as the dew. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over a broad country. He will drink from the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he will lift up his head. God, the Lord, is the one who made Christ the Lord over heaven and earth um, as the God-man. He's the one who is ascended to the right hand until he makes his enemies a footstool for his feet. He is a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The one who brings his people near to God and back into dwelling with God but uh, forever, never to, to be lost again. Um, this is what he does. His people will volunteer freely. And then on the last day, he will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations and fill them with corpses and shatter the chief men over a broad country. Yes, Nebuchadnezzar killed many men and many nations and many kings, but not as many as Christ will kill. Christ will kill all of them. He will destroy all of the wicked kings and fill the nations with their corpses. And he will judge them eternally and finally where there is no end to their destruction and to the fire and worm that eats them. He will drink from the brook by the wayside and lift up his head. There will be none to stop him. There will be none to take his kingdom away from him, but he will reign forever. Let's put our hope in Christ, in the same Christ that Habakkuk put his hope in, the one he cried out to, um, knowing that he would, he would judge the nations um, perfectly and finally. Amen.